Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. On this episode, we're staying up well past my bedtime to take a peek at London after dark. Over the next 20 to 30 minutes, my guests will help us understand the role that the nighttime economy can play in helping boost the capital, bring life back to our high streets and enable more Londoners, for want of a better phrase, to live their fullest lives. Before I introduce our excellent guests, a few facts and figures to lay the foundations of just how important city life is after the nine to five. So a quarter of all trips on public transport are at night. This is new to me. Uh, The biggest growth in public transport use is between 10 p.m. and 7 a.m., definitely past my bedtime. 50% of all of those night bus journeys are for work and more than 1.6 million people in London work at night. There is life after dark and it deserves to be recognised. Here to help us find out why is Michael Kill, Chief Executive of the Nighttime Industries Association, Ros Morgan, Chief Executive of the Heart of London Business Alliance, Matt Sims, Chief Executive of Croydon Business Improvement District, District, sorry, hard to say, uh, <laughs> Melanie Williams, Head of Real Estate and Hospitality Sectors at DWF. Thank you so much for joining us and what I know is going to be a really fascinating conversation and one I think that isn't had enough certainly in this um this sphere the real estate sphere so Michael I'm going to start start with you why is why do we need to talk about the nighttime economy and what role does it really play in helping London I'm going to use that horrible word leveling up it's got a huge part to play I think we've got to consider all the elements that it brings I mean when we talk about nighttime economy we talk about everything that happens between 6 p.m and 6 a.m in the morning we also talk about the social physical and mental well-being of the capital's communities you know right down to the boroughs the high streets etc so it has a massive part to play in driving traction there is a huge amount of creativity and entrepreneurial spirits, you know, from, you know, that, that creative independent business that will sit on the corner and deliver live music to some of the bigger concert halls and casinos, etc., that make up this very vibrant sort of cultural tapestry that is the nighttime economy. And I think if it wasn't there, which we've seen in the last two to three years, people have missed it. And they've come out in their droves, all ages, all groups, Uh, all uh, different types of people just to enjoy and be an active part in those social engagement and it brings about this really important conversation around socioeconomics which I think needs to be sort of led further down the line especially for government's understanding and I think the big challenge that we've got to the moment is educating government on what nighttime economy is Uh, that's the bit that's missing because we spent the last three years trying to teach them as well as trying to gain support fantastic and we'll get into that those lessons I'm sure um, throughout this this podcast, and you you talked there about it, it went away um, that that nighttime activity and a lot of activity went away, I suppose, over the last last couple of years. But it is coming back. And and Roz, I know um, we've spoken with you here at EG before about um, uh, just how how much I guess the the West End suffered and how how much you were um, campaigning to bring people back in and the, the importance of the, the theatres and that, that nighttime sort of culture as well and bringing people back on, if you can give us your, your views. I mean, I could go on and on about the various stats and facts, like, for example, heart, the heart of London area is about 39 hectares. I don't know what that is in acres. I probably should because I have horses. But anyway, um, but the GVA is valued at 1 billion a year, and that's just in that small area. But... 
the reality is, is that the real litmus test was during this pandemic and not the pandemic itself, but the reopening. And what we find was everybody went um, hell for leather opening in the kind of um, stages that they were allowed. So it was retail and it was F&B, then it was hospitality and then we closed again. The reality hit that actually there was no point opening unless the evening and nighttime economy existed, unless that live entertainment social opportunity existed. And that's right across the board from pubs, clubs to live entertainment, West End theatres, cinema, etc. And our er the West End struggled. We were one of the last to come out of the pandemic as a direct result of the evening and nighttime economy being non-existent because it was impossible for them to be able to operate under the conditions that were set. So for me, like I, I can talk, we can talk all we want, but actually that demonstrated the truth, the real reality of how important the nighttime economy is to the whole ecosystem. And certainly in the West End, um, the pandemic proved that with no beyond any doubt whatsoever. Thank you. Um, and Matt, a little further out, I suppose, than central London in, in, in Croydon, ha was was the same was the same felt felt there? And you, have you have you bounced back? How is? I wouldn't say we've bounced back. Um, I think Croydon and but lots of towns and cities across the UK are, are all experiencing exactly the same thing. Um, you know, from a nighttime economy point of view, um, has has been declining and I'm, I'm, I'm sure Michael had, had his thoughts in in a moment um, the nighttime economy is so important it's 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 huge I mean we you know if you take London we're a, you know 24 7 city um, we love to go out we love to socialize we love to have fun um, and that's why you know as, as, as Roz said it's 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 such an important part of the economy um, the conditions have to be right um, in order to be able to support the businesses um, within the space. So, you know, Croydon's a great example of that in terms of, you know, yes, you have the enthusiasm, you have the passion, you have the business owners within the nighttime economy, but equal to that, you need to have the focus, you need to have the investment that comes in. And in terms of the recovery, um, we saw glimmers of recovery during the summer. We're now faced with yet another perfect storm in terms of cost of living, but but equally the, the kind of cost of doing business. Um, so it's um, it's very challenging out there right now. Thank you. Um, Melanie, from, from your point of view and with the clients that, that you're working with, is, is, is this something that, that your clients talk about, how they can play a role in, in boosting the nighttime economy? Yeah, I think the key to all of this, when, when, we, when we talk about nighttime economy, and I know this is what this podcast is, is focused on, but actually nighttime economy is part of the larger picture. Um, so any investors or developers or councils or banks or funders or anybody that we're acting for who are involved in the real estate sector, of course, are involved in the nighttime economy because they want to know that where they're investing or if they've got premises which are tenanted to certain types of occupiers, that that's sustainable. And what's quite interesting is the word investment that's already come up. Um, but it's also about collaboration because what we're talking about when we say about nighttime economy, and, and for those that are listening, not to forget, we're not talking about monoculture here. We're not talking about drinking alcohol and going to pubs and to clubs. We are actually talking about all the diverse things that we need to sustain a nighttime economy. Um, and the investment and the collaboration that you need between the different stakeholders. And that runs across property owners, across bids, across councils, across government, but also across private investors and how we get that private investment in. Because what we've got at the moment 
And this is where my clients hopefully come in or are looking at or interested is how you plug the gaps of the public funding and the public collaboration because, and we'll get onto probably the safety between spaces and things. There are lots of empty buildings as a result of COVID that we've touched on as a result of declining high streets. And when you talk about Croydon and the whole London commentary, London isn't just like the nighttime economy, isn't a single space. It's lots of little laid up spaces with lots of gaps in between. And it's such a, a fragmented picture um, that we have to grapple with and you need all of the collaboration across the different private and public sector to be able to tackle the issues that we've got. Well, let, let's let's stick with that because I think it's a re- it's a really good point to, to debate to debate, uh, particularly in current climate. How do we enable that collaboration? I'm going to say it in that I don't think government's going to help that much <laughs> with that. Um, so, how do we, as an industry, as bids, as as uh, you know, as champions, make sure that that collaboration happens and that we create spaces that are 24 hours you know it's uh, as Melanie said I think we sometimes go down the the route of thinking that nighttime economy is uh, I'm going to go out clubbing it's not there are people who are working um, who need to use that public transport and to get to their jobs to earn their money to to live how do how do we make that all happen Michael I I think the big thing to really understand here is we've got to get the comms right and we've also got to get the infrastructure right we can talk about 24-hour economy um when we when we spoke about it some time ago with licensing in particular that 24-hour economy or 24-hour licensing was a false economy it was never going to happen with the infrastructure that's in place so we need a strategy that looks at 24-hour hubs that looks at you know places like Westminster where you've got the opportunity with those sort of hubs of transport and infrastructure to be able to manage what goes on but we need to start small and grow. I think the one thing that we need to understand is when we talk about things like high streets and we talk about trading capacity, um, support is one thing. The bigger thing to really consider is the freedom to trade, the freedom to access planning, the freedom to access licensing, deregulation, planning and licensing easement is going to be a big part to play and the minister for business is very pro deregulation so i think we're moving into an era with government particularly with the business minister that he's going to be looking at deregulation and there's going to be a lot of work to do with giving businesses the opportunity to trade beyond pre-pandemic pre-pandemic capacity and the ability without all the constraints without the bureaucracy to actually start to develop their position. But within that, we also need protections. We need agent of change. We need assets of community. We need heritage protection to ensure that we're safeguarding against permitted rights development, etc. So there's a lot of work in terms of infrastructure. There's a lot of work in terms of communication, safety, etc., bringing people back in. We're starting to move into drawing international visitors in, which we know nightlife tourism is worth about 300 million visits a year huge absolutely huge 25 percent of nighttime economy trade comes through london you know we're talking 112 billion pounds worth of turnover 1.94 million people it's a huge industry bigger than beauty fashion automotive it's got to have a greater consideration in government and that means that they've got to educate and part of that role is us educating them but we also need to start deregulating creating some easements where it's a lot easier for investment to come through and they're not stalled by planning being pushed down the line etc just as one point 
that that's a really i mean that's interesting because there are <coughs> there are two aspects to that there's the the outside investment that you might get from overseas in fact i mean london is a great place for overseas investors to come across and see opportunity and spend their money particularly if the pound is <laughs> devalued because they're suddenly going to think they're going to get a lot of bang for their buck um, that private investment is also helped by certain ideas that government has around enterprise zones and i know that we talked about the enterprise zone for london but actually announced last friday was a look into investment zones now how many will apply to london i know greater london are in there and would, would probably want to bid for an area or two whether it would apply to nighttime economy areas who knows the detail's got to come out but what is interesting about that investment zone policy without the detail at this stage is it's very similar to what we used to have which was business premises renovation allowance which was closed um, some years ago and that allowed certain tax incentives on the cost of redeveloping basically property um, turning empty buildings bring them back into use and that could apply to help plug gaps and bring investment in where we haven't got public investment um, it remains to be seen whether that'll, that'll be available for this sort of economy or whether that will then also fall into the levelling up agenda and, and actually level down some of the issues that you have in London as a result. So we're all waiting to see what that looks like. Um, the other thing that you mentioned is the the um, less private but more the other collaboration, maybe housing and the other things that government can do because they have got to deal with housing crisis and also have the right houses in the right places. And that also leads into your diversity issue of the nighttime economy and, and also your supply issue for staffing, that you need people who are local enough or have enough um, infrastructure in place to be able to commute to their work that can afford the housing in those localities. So it might actually, if the two can be managed and mapped together, it could actually be a force for good in the long term. My view on it is that all that's incredibly important, but just something like um michael have to call him michael his mom will be cross otherwise um something that michael said uh, was you know he was he spent a lot of time trying to educate government on what the even in nighttime economy is and i think that's the biggest challenge we actually have because if we were able to get that right i, I think there would be less adversity to it in some ways because I can tell you, I've been working across town centres and city centres for 20 years and every single council, every administration, bar none, don't understand what the evening and nighttime economy is. They only regard it as premises license venues, you know, pubs and clubs and people being sick and all those kind of things that we all conjure up. And that's where the conversation and the narrative absolutely needs to change. And so, you know, we need to look beyond that obvious narrative and we need to really be grown up and recognise that actually there's a hell of a lot more um, going on, for example, in the West End um, than just pubs and clubs. You know, we've got all of that nighttime tourism coming in with the West End theatres, for example. But we've also got a huge number of workers, you know, whether they're car workers, service workers, you know, and they're in and out of the area all of the time. And there are no services available for them other than McDonald's. And I, I that's not even a joke. That is the only place you can get a meal or you can use the loo 24-7, and thank goodness for that. And I actively encourage um, 
McDonald's when they're applying for their licenses to do it over a 24 hour period for that purpose. But we don't even have the public transport. You know, you kickstarted the conversation with all of the figures about how many people use public transport. Where is it at nighttime? Like, I don't want to sit on a bus for two hours when I've been up all hours of the morning and just finished my job. You know, all of that absolutely needs to be addressed if we want our city to be the best city in the world. And right now, now we're, we're really feeling it. And I think if we can get that narrative and we can get people to speak beyond pubs and clubs and focus on, well, well what are the other uses? I, I think the conversation can then move forward and we can come up with a vision um, that we can all kind of move forward to. Uh, you know, we've got a massive financial sector and they're operating 24-7 because they're working internationally. You know, where are the services? Where's the utility? Where's all of the things that they need over that period of time? Um, and in Heart of London, um, we really have gripped this. It's purely through my own frustration, I have to say. It's a personal kind of gripe of mine. I get so frustrated at, at um, the conversation always being about pubs and clubs. And I'm a huge supporter of pubs and clubs that are well managed. Um, but we've decided to, we've we've created the first of its kind, even in a nighttime economy strategy for the West End. And it it, it takes into consideration all users all purposes, all sectors, what is it now and what could it be in the future? And we're going to use that document to try to open people's eyes to the fact that this goes way beyond the obvious. And this is this is where I think we all have a, a collective opportunity in terms of how we move forward, in terms of you know the the impact of the pandemic and we, we talk about high streets and when anybody mentions high streets everybody thinks of their little shop and other bits and pieces but it's far bigger than that far broader um i, I absolutely agree with 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 mike in terms of the deregulation and the freedom to do business and the freedom to actually get out there and yes take some risks you're gonna have to do that there's there's no way of getting away from it but what what we from what what we would like from our town centre, our city centre, is is for the imagination, the creativity to come in where you can uh, bolster your offer. And again, we we use lots of terminology from place making to place shaping, um, which are all very lovely. Um, but in, in essence, it's it's about creating the experience. People want experiences right now. And you know, if you take Croydon as an example. We have uh, the Orders Building, which which everybody knows about. Um, it's been vacant for some time. It's now being converted into a, a, a new experiential um, offering called Lost. Um, it's being led by a guy called Fabian who founded Secret Cinema. Um, and that will open towards the end of this year into, into next. But, you know, whether, and, and I totally agree with, with, with Ros in the sense that whether it's local authority or government in terms of the actual understanding for the nighttime economy, the opportunity right now is to be able to grasp the different strategies and the different ways in which you can really drive forward momentum to provide the support and to allow uh, other businesses the opportunity, new and current, to really get out there and to, to really do something. But Matt, how do you do that when mm. you have, you know, cost of living crisis going yeah. up, energy prices going up, people, uh, new businesses that want to try something new, 
that are SMEs and startups, how are they ever going to be able to afford or even be sustainable if they afford to start opening when there's a massive percentage of something like, was it 40% of businesses, are say, those sort of businesses are saying they're operating at a loss and another 20% are saying they're just about breaking even, something ridiculous where only 30% are actually saying they're turning a profit. Yeah. So unless, it's not just about the investment zones and the collaboration, it's actually, and we just had a huge set of cuts and tax reductions which is already worrying because how are we going to afford it but actually what hasn't happened is those SMEs they're not being supported there's still uncertainty about what happens in six months with their energy costs there's you know no reduction on the VAT on entrance tickets and other things that could actually help sustain there's still so much to be done which the, is, and I don't the, know how we afford it the one thing I would say to you and, and we release those figures on uh, I think it was something like uh, seven out of ten are either barely breaking even yeah, or losing like money. The reality is, is everyone's in survival mode. There's no two ways down. They're, they're either mothballing or considering what they're doing with their business long term. The challenge that we have is, and, and as we have in the pandemic, is how these businesses pivot. Um, you know, we had to, we, we are the industry that's good at recreating the wheel, as it were. So. Mm-hmm. I've got a huge amount of confidence in the entrepreneurial spirit and the drive, but we need that support from mm. government, even in the small ways, to allow us to trade beyond our position. Even the off-sales easement from last week, um, you know, will make a difference, but we need more of that. And that's the bit that we've got to work towards. And and I think the education piece, as we, I mean, I sat in front of a minister uh, and a civil servant, and as the minister came off, I had a conversation with a civil servant who said, I wish people who would understand that nightclubs and bars are not like Saturday Night Fever anymore mm-hmm. and you know when we talk about Fine nighttime shame. economy yeah <laughs> when we talk <laughs> about nighttime economy we talk about an ecosystem of businesses and because it involves music fashion and people which are three of the most fickle mm-hmm. environments mm-hmm. and trends you know you can't attach yourself because it's a moving feast one minute you've got nightclubs the next minute you've got ghetto golf yeah. so the reality is you've got to move with the times but I said to a minister yesterday, they said, well, what do you want to see? I said, I want to see enforcement officers who understand our industry. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, we can't have an FIA director directing Formula One unless he understands racing. Mm-hmm. So how do you expect a police officer to enforce against a business they have no understanding culturally, and the only way to manage is to cut off or close? So we've got some real challenges ahead of us. And... Um, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's it's going to be tough. And all of that, without even talking about the C-bill um, remainder that lots of businesses are still under because they still owe money, don't they, getting through COVID? They haven't even paid that off yet. Ros? I mean, Sam, something that we're considering, um, and I'm trying to um, encourage this, actively encourage this, I'm lobbying, um, and that is, you know, Matt says, you know, what people's visions are of their high streets and all of that kind of thing. And I'm talking specifically about the West End for a minute. Um, the same policies that apply to your kind of small high street in Westminster, are they are the same policies that apply to somewhere like the West End that sees, you know, 20, 30 million people walking through their streets every single day. And it's the same policies that then applies to a little high street that might see three people walking down their street. So, you know, going back again to something Mike said earlier, it has to be horses for courses. And that needs to be led by somebody who has the experience and has the understanding. And I genuinely think that that is the only way um, that we can make this happen. Um, And, you know, just the police for you just that was mentioned there about the police. In my experience, the police are brilliant 
right? And I we I launched Best Bar None in Croydon back in the day, Matt, whenever it was a great place to be. <laughs> it still is. I live there. I live in Croydon. What can I say? It's still a great place. And I launched Best Bar None because basically the, the businesses at night had such a bad reputation. And actually, in my experience, having worked for Tiger Tiger for my sittings, was great experience um you know i knew how well organized how well run how professional how responsible they jumped through hoops um you know to meet all of this you know the requirements and the criteria set by the police and by the council and so we launched best bar none because i thought it was important that people could actually see that appreciate it understand it and you know i did it in kingston and we've got it in um, the west end now you know i've kind of brought it into each of those areas and when i'm working with the police they get it they recognize the really okay. good establishments and actually but they have to follow criteria so when they're basically trying to enforce something um it's because it's if they're required to rather than they actually believe that it's the right thing to be doing so it's very interesting if you kind of picked at the bones well, of that you I, would see that the police have a different view you know a more understanding I, I, view i'm going to get a perspective for you here so when you go for a license um all that's presented in terms of data is around crime <laughs> so you're already yeah. presented with a risk narrative before you get out of the blocks where is a quality impact assessment where is cultural implication community implications none of it is considered economic anything so when you think about something which is driven around risk narrative, you're never going to escape the narrative if all you're being presented with at a point of application is around risk and potential impact, not the potential impact of economics and, and how it's going to affect the community. So when I talk about policing, and there are some great police officers out there and individuals, but there are also some really bad ones, similar, there are bad operators. But the fact of the matter is, is there isn't a consistency or a framework to work to to ensure that we've got that consistency. I can apply for a license in Aberystwyth uh, and apply the same license in Liverpool and get two different outcomes. So the reality is, is there is an issue with the framework. There is an issue that it's not police driven, but is education driven because what they need to do is while they look at planning and licensing and that understanding, they don't understand the culture and they also don't understand the industry. Hence the reason why some music genres are being squeezed out and will be displaced into areas which will cause antisocial behavior and public you know uh, public issues so it's the challenge that we have is how do we administer or get to a point where we can start to manage some of these things that are a bigger challenge that aren't going to go away just by shutting a premise so that's that's my argument i mean i'd love to hear from other people about it but the risk narrative is frustrating for me i nearly swore then so the first <laughs> I mean, there's got to be a place for bids and all of this in the consultation with the police on licensing, surely, because you know that if you've got bids in the area, then surely you know the area and you can for, input. I'm, yeah, I mean, for, for for me, the the role of the bids is to is to influence uh, positively, uh, to work with stakeholders and partners. You know, for me, when I when I look at Croydon, you know, I I I want the vacant units filled. Uh, I want the offer improved. Uh, I want it to be far more varied um, than it currently is. I do want more of a, a, a nighttime economy coming in. 
And so there is a there is a, a part partly a responsibility on bids, but also the co- coordination between bids, local authority, and other stakeholders to work collaboratively with one another in terms of being able to go out and to be able to almost sell and promote a destination um, where you're welcoming it in. Mm-hmm. And 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 Croydon has to do that. If it doesn't, then it will fall foul. Well, you're not to forget that with bids, they are paid for by another form of rate by the levy payers in the area. I mean, they have Absolutely. to vote for it yep. to actually be prepared to pay that extra amount. So, you know, the bid are really backed up by the people of that area, aren't they? So yeah. it's, it's interesting when you talk about, I mean, we've seen the state of high streets. What we're worried about, if anything, is the small, medium enterprise businesses becoming more of an acute line. Mm-hmm. They are the creative infrastructure of high streets. You've then got the corporates which tag onto it that create that balance. And the worry we have at the moment is the cannibalization of those independents. Mm-hmm. And us just having a high street full of revolutions and mm. McDonald's and all this sort of thing. And everyone goes on about gentrification and these sort of changes. And I'm fed up of hearing it in many respects. The reality is we're losing SMEs the creative backbone, the ones that have to pivot and be creative. and Well, the ones that create the diversity. Exactly. In the- you know, yeah. all of these, I mean, the ghetto golfs originally, all those independent venues that support bands and do it as a passion, not for commercial, stupidly, you know. Um, but the reality is, is that's what makes the high street. Mm-hmm. And the worry is, is we're moving towards fueling this cannibalization by corporates uh, of these independents, which is the big worry. But that stake input into bids helps with that. Yeah, I mean, with the bids, so uh, bids, all bids are different and they're on their members, vote them in for lots of different reasons. So you can have bids that are entirely focused on marketing, for example. Um, myself and Matt's bids um, are, we do basically everything. It's the 360. And I have to say, as the bids have matured, they are taking on more and more responsibility because we see that, Traditionally, we've just been fixing the things right in front of us, you know, <laughs> overflowing bins and, you know, issues with um, um, antisocial behavior and all those Still kind there. of hanging, hanging <laughs> baskets. Um, <laughs> but now we're so much more mature and experienced. And for example, at the minute, we've developed the master plan for the West End um, because nobody else was doing it frankly. And so now we're putting together, you know, proposition economic case for the private sector and and the local authority to invest to make these improvements. But as part of that, we've got a cultural and art strategy that kind of overarches it because there's no point in designing a public realm if you don't know what the hell's going in it and who's going to be using it. And with the cultural and we're because we're talking here about again, even up having said it's more than pubs and clubs we're back to pubs and clubs in the conversation but for me it's about art and culture and that you know and the heritage of the art and culture and I have to say we are I'm in the envious position of being in the West End because it's so strong and it's music and it's dance and it's um you know opera it's ballet in fact um Mike you'll be impressed the English National Opera they basically had their orchestra play all the old rave music and apparently people were all sat in the stalls 
<laughs> listening to it, but they all got up and danced um, towards towards the end. Um, so I thought that, but, you know, we want to open our art galleries past 10 o'clock. We want to open, you know, we want to bring it out onto the streets. We want projections. We want all those kind of things. And that does go beyond pubs and clubs. Now, don't get me wrong. Pubs and clubs are incredibly important. It's where I spend a lot of my time and and find out is what I need to know um, about the area. But it's not the be. It's not everything. We need the right tenant mix. So the other thing, so we've got the public realm strategy, We've got our cultural strategy, and now we're actually looking at a tenant mix strategy for the area, because actually you've got such disparate ownership across the board. They're, they've all got their own plans and strategies, but there's not a shared vision for the whole area. And I think that's incredibly important because shoving in, you know, things that are going to be open until, you know, all hours of the day when you're right next to a family residential area, it's not the right thing to do and it's not the right thing to encourage. So it is about creating spaces where that is allowed and you can have, you know, spaces open till um, whatever hours we need to. You know, I think we're creating problems for ourselves when we're trying to shoehorn, um, you know, late night venues into residential spaces. I think this um this topic is so so huge <laughs> that we we probably needed at least three days to 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 go through it and tackle tackle part it one. properly. Yeah, this is part one. But I think some something that has really come out um to me and uh, that that I str I'm struggling a little bit with listening to you is that you you all talk about the need for education, um particularly government and and you know sort of UK wide. I I suppose, but all of you are very eloquent very passionate about <laughs> about the benefits of the nighttime economy and that being you know more than just pubs and, and clubs and with you know a uh, more flexible approach to working it's probably offices too if we're going to allow people to work when suit, suits them what is it and, and this to be the takeaway I suppose for the last couple of minutes of this this podcast what is it that really needs to happen for all of you very smart, very eloquent, very passionate people to really get that message across to whoever it might be, whether it's whether it's government, you know, do we need um, more night stars across across the across the country or is there something else that we need? What's the one ask that you have? Ros, I'm going to go to you first and then but short, sharp answers because we have a few minutes to wrap us up. We need a minister for evening and nighttime economy oh, and not, not, not a p politician, frankly. Um, don't want a politician. I want someone who's been there and done it and ha you know, has the experience of the industry. Fantastic. Matt, you were going to say the same thing, <laughs> clearly. Who? Oh, oh, no, you can't ask me that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll come up with another idea. Pass the mic. Oh, you pass oh, yeah. no, pass the mic to Mike. That was a hospital pass, I think. It they was, it in rugby. Good. Um, I, I would say, I mean, I would agree with, with Roz, and I think there needs to be an infrastructure, but I think there needs to be an integrated national nighttime economy, evening and nighttime economy strategy. I think that's the important part. One of the things we've learned from drink spiking is, you know, we've asked for three things when we sat with the Home Affairs Committee. You know, an overt campaign that tells people what's going on and perpetrators, etc. A consistent training package across the board um, and process. They got one of them. Um, but the reality is, is it's that integrated strategy that people can buy into as a national position, which ties in with exactly what Rod says. But we need someone from the industry to do it. It can't be a politician. They don't get it.
And Mike, it can't change with the weather because let's face it, the you know the politics is ch changes with the weather. We need something that is you know cr cross party, and you know absolutely dedicated for the next five, ten years, whatever it might be. For me, it uh, would be more uh, more intelligent structuring of uh, tax concessions to get private investment uh, that's sustainable. Because otherwise, with the with the situation we're at now and the cost of living rises, I'm concerned that our trickle down economic economics is going to mean that you're going to have all of your pubs and clubs in London and the West End populated by bankers and the one and a half percent high net worth <laughs> earners because everybody else won't be able to afford to go out. So I think there's there's still quite a lot of work to be done. So when you when you put together a hospitality minister who's clearly focused and directed in terms of what they want to do and need to do and a policy and a strategy that goes with that you need an investment and that that has to be forthcoming the daytime economy is important to the uk but the nighttime economy economy is equally important and that that needs to be understood fantastic and that's that education piece again is that let's absolutely let's um we talk a lot in uh, particularly in the real estate world at the moment about ed and i and uh, that you know, that doesn't just refer to people, does it? It <laughs> refers to economies too, daytime, nighttime, everything in between. Uh, this has been a really fascinating conversation. I wish we had at least two more hours to to continue and then maybe go to the pub and do it over a pint or, or two. Where but do thank you think we're going? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for, for joining us on this EG Property Podcast. Michael, Roz, Matt and Melanie. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.